0: Our hearts are full of joy at watching one of your little ones and watching Madison step out in obedience and be baptized to display your love, your, your sacrifice, your gift to us, Lord, and the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, and just to be able to stand here and sing, asking you to give us more of your Son, Jesus, Lord. And you, our Heavenly Father, who delights in giving good gifts to his children, want to give us your Son. You want us to know you in the fullness of your glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray as we come to you this morning and we look into your word, Lord, may our hearts be turned towards you. May our thinking be set upon your word, Lord, and may we be in your presence. And may everything be said for your glory, for your honor. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, it is good to be with you this morning. I feel like I haven't been here for a while, and uh, to come back and have a service to see Madison uh, get baptized is just such a blessing. This has got to be one of the most special weekends as a youth pastor for me to see Mark and Ashley get married this weekend, to see Madison get baptized all in one weekend is just a uh, I'm excited. I'm just uh, praising God for what he's doing. Um, it's been a joy to work with uh, Madison and Joe and jo Nelda. And and uh, she came right into youth group wanting to, uh, wanting to step in faith and uh, obedience and baptism and has been working diligently um, towards that goal. So it was, uh, it was just a blessing uh, to see that this morning. And I thank you for being here to celebrate with us. Uh, At Lakeside and this this baptism, and I I hope that your hearts have been blessed. Um, This morning, we will be looking into Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles and would like to turn there with me, um, we'll be beginning in in verse 1 and reading through uh, verse 17 this morning. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Lord always blesses the reading of his word. This morning as we get into Colossians 3, I I thought it would be appropriate just to jump back into chapter 2 and and just read a couple verses to kind of get our our minds and our hearts wrapped around the framework in which Paul is talking to the Colossians and how we can then um, set our hearts in the right place to hear these words. And also to help us understand exactly what was uh, displayed here just a few moments ago as we watched Madison be baptized. In verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12 says, "...having been buried with him in baptism..." He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Here Paul is setting to us the record of what we see in baptism. We see the symbolism of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You see, God created all of us to be in a relationship with him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man in his image and his likeness. And it says that Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the Garden of Eden in an intimate relationship with God. But something happened. Sin entered the world when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit that caused them to break their fellowship, break their relationship with God. And they became spiritually dead. Sin entered the world. The Bible says that as sin, as sin entered the world, death came upon all men, for all have sinned. Sin entered, trespasses, a broken record. We, we, uh, we miss the mark. Uh, we trespassed against God's law. And we see that in our sinfulness, in our lostness, in our death, spiritual death, we have nothing to accept, expect ex- other than the wrath of God, separation from God, judgment by God. And yet God didn't finish the story there. He didn't let it stop when he expelled Adam and Eve out of the garden, but he gave them a promise and says, through the seed of a woman there will become a redeemer, this man, Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus came at the fullness of time. He came into this world as a babe. The all-powerful creator God became man. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus Christ wrapped himself in human flesh, came to this earth to live a perfect life, to demonstrate to us who he is, to reveal to us the glory of God, the Father, and his plan, his desire for us to be in that relationship with him, that when we come to him in faith and recognize that Jesus Christ paid my debt on that cross, that only through... Through faith in him, only in understanding this can I have that relationship with God. Can I be united back to God in Christ? And this is what we see in the picture of baptism as we see Madison go down under the waters. is a picture of going down to the grave with Christ. And as the waters cover her head, the burial of Christ. And then as she comes back up out of the water, we see the symbolism of Christ's resurrection on that third day to newness of life and that power of the resurrection. And he says here that we have been buried with him in baptism and we we're also raised to life through him. And I, I think there's um, just an amazing picture of what happens here and the opportunity we have then to glorify God with our lives. I was so thankful to watch this morning um, as Joe and Madison had time to talk father-daughter before baptism. And I think that was such a special picture to me. Um, having when I was baptized, I I don't even know the pastor who baptized me. I don't have that relationship with him. I know when it happened, I know where it happened, but the church I went to was rather large, and there was multiple pastors there, and I, I'm sure there's a record of it, but I don't have that relationship with the man who baptized me. And to see this relationship that is established, that is there, and that will last, is a picture again of our Heavenly Father who gave his son to to die on the cross for us to have life. So that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's victory over sin and death. And so if we receive Jesus Christ, if we come to him and acknowledge that we are sinners and abandoned on our own and, and headed for destruction, that we need Jesus to step into our life and to take that Um, and to give us his forgiveness as he took our punishment from us on the cross and gave us new life through the resurrection. When we come to him, then we can see where Paul is leading us today in Colossians 3, what we must do. And as we step out in faith, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If we're raised with Christ, if we call ourselves a Christian, if we have that relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to seek things that are above. Question, are you seeking what is above? Are you seeking heavenly things? Are you seeking God? Are you seeking Christ? Are you seeking the word of God in heaven? That's what we're commanded to do. If we're in Christ, we need to seek and set. Set our minds. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. So we are to have desire for the things that are above, desire for heavenly things, desire for things that speak of God, and then we are to change not just our desires, but our thinking, set our mind. That's an action that we have to take to to fix our minds on something, to set it on something, to dwell upon it, to think about it. This is where we really have to do some work and and, and do some mental exercise and learn to set our minds on things above not on things of the earth. If you're like me, it is natural to wake up and start thinking earthly thoughts and and thinking selfishly, thinking the ways that I want to do things the way I want to do. And I have to take a moment, I have to pray, I have to ask God to focus my mind on him, to give me the opportunity to think about him and to dwell upon him. I have to turn to his wording and find nuggets of truth that I might be able to dwell on all day long. And we are commanded that if we are believers today, we are to change our desires to seek after heavenly things. We are to set our thinking, our affections on things that are above, for we have died, and our life is hidden with Christ and God. Now, I love this part. When it says, we have died to ourselves. I mean, what does a corpse do? Nothing. Nothing. A corpse is done. It's dead. It's going to be buried. It is an empty shell. And if we think about our Old man, our old nature is dead today. And yet we allow it to, to take over. We allow it to, to come back. So often it says, remember, you are, your, your old self is dead. Your life now is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. It is hidden with Christ in God. That, that it is secured. It is in Christ. Christ has hidden my life. He has secured it. He has taken it to be with him that way. It's free of my control anymore. I am dead to myself. Now I live to Christ. And the hope that we should have is when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If you're in Christ Jesus, you will appear with him in glory. You will have the promised home of heaven. You will be with God forever. That relationship has been established, and that relationship will last. So we are to seek Him to set. We also have this image here in chapter 3 of death and life. In verse 5 he says, put to death, to mortify, to, to uh, remember, we are dead, therefore put to death th- what is earthly in us. It's interesting here because Paul immediately goes in, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires. Each of these first four attributes he speaks of, these sinful habits, all have to do with sexual impurity. Um, and I think it's so appropriate today in our culture where sex is everywhere. The the misuse and um, of sex, the impurities are all over, and everything we see from TV shows to the music that's on there to the newspaper, we are constantly bombarded with earthly understanding of sexuality. And he says, "Put this to death." It is so important that we understand that one of God's primary commands for His children is to flee sexual morality. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you flee sexual morality. One of the things that is to set us apart from the world is that we stand in purity and holiness before our God. Then he says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Desire, that's materialism. We live in a very sexual culture. We live in a very materialistic culture. He says that's idolatry. And he says, remember this, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. There's a time when God's going to say enough is enough. There's a time when he's going to bring judgment upon this world. And why do we want to dabble in the things that God is coming to judge? He has called us out of that. He has given us new life. He has given us victory and power over these things that we no longer have to succumb to them. But we can live in freedom. Verse 7 says, In these two you once walked when you were living in them. I, I'm always amazed that when Paul puts a list in the scriptures of sins, he always then comes back to saying, as such were you, of things that you used to do. And as a believer, I think it's so important that I step back and I pause and I remember my sinfulness. I remember that I am a sinner and that I can only stand before you today because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That it was because of my sins that my Savior had to go to that cross and he had to be nailed upon the tree and be buried because of me, because of my sins. And, and, and he puts this in there, lest we get puffed up with pride and think that we have arrived, remember where you came from. Remember what you were saved out of. To me, it's a, it was a real joy to hear that even since uh, those of us who went to CLM this, this last uh, month, to hear that two of the young ladies who were there, while we were there, we we're just recently adopted into a new family, a new Christian Brazilian family, and to to see um, that there's a relationship, an adopted relationship, where they have now a family. Their dream of having a family is there, and and it brings such great joy to me to to hear of that. And that they're going to take new names, they're going to they're going to live a new life, and they're going to have a family. And here we see that we are reminded that we, were, we are put to death. We are no longer the children of this, of this world, children of wrath, but we are children of God. We are to put to death those things and to take on the new name, to take on the new life, to have our dream of having that relationship with God, being part of God's family. And we need to put these away. He continues to tell us how to by putting away all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He goes from two of the, the main things in our culture, sexual sins and materialism, says put those away, and then he goes to very social engagement, how we interact with people. And oftentimes we are full of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. He says have none of it. This is how we behave with other people. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practice and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we are to put these off, death, put off death, mortify the old man, mortify the old nature, put it to death, and then we are to turn to life. To put on is the new life, the new self. And he says this, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Let me ask you this, how are you being renewed into the image of your creator. It says here through the knowledge that comes after the image of a creator, renewed in knowledge. Romans 12 says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How? Renew our mind according to the word of God. We need to understand that my way of thinking is wrong. God's way of thinking is right. I need to come to the word of God to straighten out my incorrect thinking. I need to come back to the compass, the guidebook, the manual for living that says this is what's correct, not what the world says. If we take just a simple calculation, the average American spends four hours in front of the TV. The average college and through, uh, child through college age today spends an average of eight hours a day plugged into some form of technology, whether that's iPod, Xbox, Internet, Facebook, They're getting bombarded constantly, eight hours a day, with the world's message. And the only way that they can write their path is to come back to the Word of God. The only way that they can defeat the the lies of the enemy is to come back to God's Word. This month right now, the youth group and I are engaged in a um, commitment to read through the four Gospels in one month. There's... uh, It takes about three chapters a day, and it'll take 31 days to get through the four Gospels. And it takes 15, 20, 30 minutes sometimes of just sitting there reading to get through it. And we have over 20 of our teenagers who have committed to doing this. We created a Facebook website to go on to be able to post uh, what we're learning and to journal what we're getting from, because it is so important to fill our minds with the life of Christ, the words of Christ, the example of Christ. And this is just our first week. We just started last Sunday, and, and today we just finished our, finishing our first week. But uh, it's been good. You know, we're going to finish Matthew within the next day or so, and then we're going to get in Luke. And that's going to be where it gets a little tougher because didn't I just read this? <laughs> they're called the Synoptic Gospel because they're very similar. There are different reasons, different purposes, but it's going to get tough because, wow, this is, Luke can get really long. You know, he's got like 75 verses in this one chapter. I'm supposed to read three of them this week, today. It can get tough, but it's good because it's allowing our brain and our mind and our heart to be immersed into the thinking of the Word of God, into the thinking of our Savior, and we're to look for Christ in this, how did he interact with people? What character traits are being displayed? How has he displayed compassion today? In what ways did he interact with somebody who who didn't deserve interaction? That was one of the first comments on Wednesday night when I said, what are you learning? How Jesus is so compassionate on people who don't deserve it. You know, that's, uh, that's so true. But we have to come there and remember and see ourselves in that story. See myself as that leper who is destined to death and I need my Savior to reach his hand out and touch me and heal me and cleanse me. So we have to be renewed in the knowledge. Go through Colossians and just see how many times Paul says knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, to come into the knowledge of Christ. When we are renewed in the knowledge of our creator, we see that there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. We see that all these human distinctions that we place upon each other, all these different classes that we like to categorize ourselves, all these different ethnic groups that we like to divide ourselves into, in Christ, none of that exists. In Christ, we are one body, one race, one family. In Christ Jesus. He says, put those things away. We are God's chosen holy ones. We need to have compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. And as we just read through the Gospels, we just read about the master who forgave the huge debt to one of his servants, and that servant ran out and didn't forgive the other servant. And then the master then, in wrath and judgment, came back and took the servant and threw him into prison, reminding us of, We are all forgiven of a debt so big, so immense, that the only way we could pay for that is an eternity in hell. And Jesus Christ stepped into our life and said, I paid your account if you would just receive it. Just receive it. Take the forgiveness. Take the redemption as a free gift. And then for us to go to our brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the same family, and to not forgive them, it's like a slap in the face of our Savior. We need to learn to be people of forgiveness, to let go, and to, to love, to, to forgive, and allow the Savior to work in us. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. To put on love. Part of our, uh, our vision and mission here at Lakeside is to love God care for all peoples and communicate his word. To love God, put on love, love God, learn to love God, learn to love our creator and the immensity of his majesty and who he is, To, to come to the scriptures and seek out passages that speak about who God is and fall in love with him and realize that we love him because he first loved us. He opened our eyes and our hearts to who he is so that we could love him. And as we love him, we begin to care for others, to love others. When, he was, when Jesus was asked what are the greatest, what's the greatest commandment, he says to love God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul. And the second is close, to love others as yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself. He says all the law and the prophets hang on these two, to love God and love others. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Same thing. All the law and the prophets hang on these. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love. Love God. Care for others. Communicate his word so that others might know the love of God. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. When we learn to love God, when we learn to love others, when we communicate his word, what he's doing in our lives and how we communicate that to others, we'll start to see peace, start to invade the areas of our life. We'll see that Maybe not our circumstances might not always be peaceful, but our heart and our mind, our attitude, our submission to God, our, our confidence in who he is and what he's doing, that even when I can't see the end of this, he is working. He already sees the end, and I can be confident and rest in peace that he is there. Let the peace of God dwell in us. So we have we are the commands to seek and set, to st- change our desires to things of above, to set our minds on things that are above. We have to put to death and put on new life. And lastly, I want to look at another action, study and worship, word and worship. In verse 16 and 17, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does this mean? What does it mean to let the word of Christ? Well, one, what is the word of Christ? The words of Christ, which we see in the Gospels, but also the word of Christ, which was delivered to us from the beginning of time through the prophets, the prophets, and the, the priests and through the apostles and the New Testament, we come before him and we spend time and immerse ourselves into the living waters of the word of God that we might hear the word of Christ. And it says to dwell in you richly. I thought it was interesting because dwell is, or abide, it's kind of the picture of setting up a tent to, to live in, but... Uh, It it implies the implication in this term dwell is not to come in, set up a tent, stay the night, get up in the morning, and leave. My parents are camping right now, and they called and said, do you have walk-in available? And walk-in to the camping ground that they went to is, well, hike up, set up a tent, stay the night, pack up your tent, and leave. So they have a few lots allotted for people just coming in for one night, set up the tent, and leave. And so they said, no, we're full my dad's like, how in the world are they full? So when they went up there, the entire section that my parents wanted to camp in was just empty, not being a, a, a holiday weekend. And, and that's when he found out, well, a walk-in is, is just a one-night stay. It's just a quick visit, uh, just to sleep and then leave. And, and this word is not that word. It's not to set up a tent, sleep one night, and leave. It's not a temporary. It's, it's a permanence. It's a dwell. It is to, to set up, camp, and stay. And we need to let the word of Christ set up camp in our heart and stay to remain. And I think one of the best pictures we have of this is in John 15. And if you'd like to, we could turn uh, just briefly over uh, into the gospel of John in chapter 15. And this is one that I continually go back to with the youth group um, this last year. Because uh, as I've been studying it, as I... I look into it, it's just constantly changing my understanding of what it means to be in Christ. Um, just reading the first few verses, it says, I am the true vine, verse 1, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Again, how do we become clean? Through the word of Christ that is spoken to us. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. This is the same picture. Abide in Christ, to dwell in Christ permanent. Set up camp there and stay. Reside there. Abide in him. And really I want you to to get this picture. um, The way I've understood this passage it says, if we abide in him and he in us, we will bear much fruit. And it's this idea of becoming close and in an intimate relationship with Christ to set up camp in a place where we have these conversations regularly. We're thinking through, we're reading and, and studying in the word, and we start to see that word change us. It's like when you have a close friend that you spend a lot of time with, or a spouse, and all of a sudden you start to think and talk the same way. Some of the, the words that you used to do, you kind of change to something that's, that's like your, your friend, that somebody's close. You, you, be, you start to identify with that person. You, you start to become like that person. That's exactly what happens to the believer when they abide in the word of God. When you set up camp and you don't just walk away, you don't just get your, your, your five minute fix. You say, I want to know Christ. I want to know the word. I want to fill my mind with it. And Paul tells us how when we says, let's the word of Christ, dwell in you richly by teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom to come together, to teach each other, to admonish. Admonish is the Greek word, nuthos, is to come alongside of, gently to put your arm around or grab the hand of somebody and walk through something with them. It's not to, oftentimes we say admonish and it's kind of like to scold somebody kind of admonish and that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about come alongside of somebody. When you see somebody erring from the truth, Wrap them up in love and say, God loves you and we're going to get through this together. Let me show you gently and love what God means here. He says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now this part is very interesting because oftentimes we just jump to the conclusions that we pull out the songbook and we sing a worship service and we fulfilled this part of the scriptures. But you have to understand when Paul wrote this, he wrote to a, uh, a culture That was an oral culture. That means they they passed on knowledge by word of mouth. They didn't have the luxury of being able to have their copy of scriptures with them. Uh, There might be one or two copies within the, the city they lived in of the scriptures. They would have to go into the temple, the church, the synagogue, and listen intently and memorize what they heard so that they could then dwell upon it all week long. We have forgotten since since Gutenberg came around and first printed the Bible, first book ever printed on the printing press. But since that time, we've become a very literary society. Why remember something when we can just write it down, we can uh, just uh, read it later? And then with the, the Internet, the way it is, there's just information everywhere. And, and we have lost the art of remembering, of thinking through, of, of passing on accurately information from which we've received And Paul's talking to the people here and saying, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That was their way of communicating to each other truth, history, facts. And so they would sing songs, they would sing hymns to each other. They would remember the word of God by putting it to song. And many of our Sunday school classes do that very thing for the children. Learn this verse by singing this song. And then later, years later, I mean, I was a little kid in five-day club growing up and uh, Good News Club, and I still remember those songs that pop into my mind from, from a little kid. And that because a very effective learning tool, communicating tool. And it's important that we, we do come together in a worship service and we sing praise songs and we sing hymns to, to remember those things, but also in the way we in, interact with each other day by day. And we could probably put it into a, our context by saying, send text messages with the truth of God's word. Uh, Twitter. What you're learning about God. Skype somebody and tell them about Jesus. We could use the internet in such amazing ways to communicate to the masses and to each other the importance of what God is doing. And as a, as a youth group, through this experiment of being in the gospel for a month, we've made the Facebook page so we can post what we're learning. Why? Because that's the equivalent to singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, because that's our way of communicating. One of the things I've, I've been struggling with and learning through is that, you know, we live in a, um, a time when our our younger generation don't know life beyond, before digital. They don't know what it's like not to have a cell phone. I've had to rewrite skits in youth group and stuff in times past because the pay phone isn't prevalent anymore. So it doesn't make any sense. It's like, can I borrow the cell phone? That makes more sense. Um, you know, so we have this time when technology has changed to, to a place where... Um, I'm still having, I'm having a hard time keeping up, and I'm used to having the Bible before me in a, in a hard-bound copy and seeing it and flipping through the pages. But we're in a day and age where we have to learn to communicate to the younger generations through a medium in which they're familiar. In the generation Paul's speaking to, it was through songs and hymns and spiritual songs, teaching each other through an oral tradition. In, in my growing up years, it was bring your Bible to Sunday school class every day. And sometimes, I mean, it's exciting to see the kids who do bring their, their Bible with them or take it to school with them. But you know what they all have? They all have a little iPod. They all have a cell phone. That mine's over there. They have a cell phone. They have an iPod. Uh, teaching each other to use what we have that God has given us, this medium to communicate the Word of God. At camp, if you went to a Midwest camp with us this summer just a few weeks ago, you might have noticed that two or three different speakers used either their phone or their iPod, to teach or preach out of. Uh, mostly in the teen sections. And you know what? At first I was like, wait a second, should I like this? I like to see the Bible open. I like to see that. It's, just, it's a good sight. But at the same time, to say that I can read Colossians chapter 3 right in front of you right now, wherever I'm at, And to do it up here so that you can see that, wait a second, I can do that? I can sit while I'm waiting at the doctor's office? I can pull up the Bible and read it on this little machine? Yes, we need to be in the Word in every way possible and to encourage one another. That's exactly what Paul was saying here. So that the Word of God can dwell richly in us. And as we do that, we will start to see... God working in us, he's changing us and conforming us to his image and his likeness. So that everything that we do, whether whether it is word or deed, we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the character of the Lord Jesus. In the Hebrew mind, to say name was everything that person meant, their whole character, their wholeness of being. And to say in the name of Jesus doesn't mean that at the end of our... Our prayer that we just tag on in Jesus' name, amen, and that makes our prayer okay because many of us fall into the trap of praying things, asking God out of a selfish heart, and then say, oh yeah, I'm going to put Jesus' name on it and get a stamp of approval and I'll get what I want. When he says, ask anything in my name and you'll get it, doesn't mean if I just throw Jesus in there, I get it. No, it says when we ask things according to the character and the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we will receive that because we're asking according to who he is, and he cannot deny himself. And so when we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, whatever we do, whether it's word or deed, will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him. Let's close now with a thanksgiving to our Lord and Savior. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to open your word, to hear from you, Lord, to see testimony and a life example of obedience to you in the baptism of Madison, Lord, to hear the words of Paul proclaimed about what baptism is, Lord, and the new life that we have in Christ. Lord, help us to seek things that are above, to change our desires from earthly to heavenly, Lord, to set our minds on things that are above, to, to do the work, the mental tasks to allow ourselves to think through things biblically, Lord. Lord, help us to put off the old, Lord, the, the things that come so naturally in our society, to put to death the old nature, Lord, and to put on the new life, Lord, and help us to study your word, Lord, and to worship you in everything we do and say. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of love and compassion and kindness, Lord, and you meet us where you're at, Lord. I pray today that today, if someone who does not know you is here, Lord, that hasn't had that opportunity to have the relationship with you, that doesn't understand, Lord, that today might be the day of salvation, Lord, that they might seek out questions, Lord, that they might know you, that they know that you are our Heavenly Father who delights in giving good gifts, Lord, to your children. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for your many promises and your faithfulness to us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.